chapter 7, going through the book of Esther, Sunday mornings, uh, went through first six chapters, and today we come to chapter 7. And if anyone remembers uh, from last week, uh, what did we learn in chapter 6? What happened? Yep. So Haman, he had a request for the king. Uh, he wanted to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had made, 50 cubits high. And uh, he went to the king, but didn't get the chance to speak because the king had his own plans for the day. And the king wanted to honor Mordecai, and that's what we read in uh, Esther chapter 6. So he spent the day, Haman spent the day uh, parading Mordecai around. So we come to Esther chapter 7, and as we come to Esther chapter 7, I see this as the kind of the climax of the story. So if you're looking at this, looking at this book as a kind of an outline, like a story or like a, like a play kind of, uh, 1 through 6 is kind of the rising action. You see things building up, and then we get to Esther chapter 7. Uh, we're going to read the second banquet of Esther, and this is kind of the climax of the story. Is uh, Israel going to be saved? Is uh, the king going to change his mind and uh, allow uh, the Jews to be saved out of the hand of Haman. So that's where we read. I'm just going to uh, read kind of the chapter bit by bit. We're going to go through it, and then I'm going to go back and look at the whole chapter as a whole. So Esther chapter 7, starting in uh, verse 1. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. So Haman, he had just came back. He had just gotten home. We read in chapter 6, just gotten back from uh, parading uh, Mordecai around, just as the king had commanded. He just got home, and he was immediately told, uh, to come to the second banquet. Uh, this is the second banquet of Esther. We, the, she already, they had the first. We read in chapter 5. And so the king and Haman, King Ahasuerus and Haman, come to the ba- second banquet of uh, Esther the queen. Uh, verse 2, And the king said unto, again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be, shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed, even to half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen Answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So verses 2 through 4, the king, they come to the banquet, they sit down, and he again asks Esther again for, uh, now really the third time, um, but the second time of the first time of the first banquet, and now the second banquet, what is her request? So he says, unto half the kingdom, whatever you want, I will give it unto you. What is your request? Uh, he asked Queen Esther. And, you know, I feel like you can imagine maybe Esther's anxiety. If you've, you know, if you ever feel, feel that feeling, you have to go to someone and ask a question that's maybe a hard question, or you, you might be fearful of what they might answer. Because she doesn't know, the, uh, you know, kings in this day, you read like, you know, Assyrian, Babylonian kings were, you know, very uh, often not very wise with their decisions and very uh, driven by, you know, the first feeling they get. So if he would have been angry by this or something, you, you know, there, there could have been consequences to Esther's question. So you can kind of understand the nerves that she might have had before asking the king her request, but she does. And she tells the king that uh, her request is that she asked for her people and she asked that they would be saved because they've been sold. And I think so one thing I read is in verse 4. I was kind of confused about this verse at first. I didn't really understand what she was saying. Um, But I think the point of verse 4 is I think she was trying to kind of give the severity of the situation. 
because she says that uh, had they been had they been sold for bond man and bond woman, had they only been sold into slavery, that she was she wouldn't have said anything. But since this is a matter literally of life or death, that she did come to the king to requ- to ask to request for the life of her people. So she she asked she asked the uh, king uh, for the lives of her people for her and her people. Uh, um, and she, she kind of gives the severity of the matter in her answer. So reading on in verse 5, so now we're going to see what, what is King Ahasuerus, what is his answer to Queen Esther? Verse 5, then the, king, then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto queen Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary is, and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen, and the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil de- determined against him by the king. So Esther asks the request, and um, the king seems to be very concerned. And he, and he is, and he asks, who is, who is the guy who you know, has come up with this? Who is it that's um, going to who, who, who uh, your people have been sold to, who's going to destroy you and your people. And she says, it is this wicked Haman. So you, Haman, the king, and Esther, the ones of this banquet, and uh, she uh, tells them that it is Haman. And the king, and this is something, I'm actually a little bit impressed by this, because if you think about, um, again, the way kings were in this day, is that they were often very hasty in their actions. But the king rises up and he goes into the palace garden, which I would imagine just for clarity of mind and for peace, because I, you know, Haman was uh, the most noble prince in the kingdom. He was probably one of the more trusted uh, people that the king had. Um, so this was probably, you know, very concerning, very grave news for the king because uh, he, Haman was trusted. And um, so he went to the palace garden, which I would have just assumed he wanted to gather himself. Um, but I was kind of impressed because you think of someone like Nebuchadnezzar, who when Shadrach, Meshach, and, Aben- ben- and Abednego, when they refused to bow down and he gave them a second chance, and uh, they still refused, and they said that, you know, if God said, you know, the whole story in Daniel, uh, that he acted very hastily out of anger, and he ordered that the furnace be heated up, you know, seven, uh, way more than it's supposed to be heated, and he commanded that the strongest men bind him and threw them in, and uh, he was very hasty in his decision, but I was, I was a little bit interested that Ahasuerus didn't immediately act out of anger, and he didn't just command immediately for Haman to go, Possibly because he wanted to think it over. I mean, we don't know. But he did. He got up and he left the table, went out to the palace garden. And uh, Haman saw that there was evil determined against uh, him. So he went and he wanted to make requests for his life to Esther. Uh, perhaps, you know, falling down and begging. And uh, we'll actually read here in verse 8. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the garden, or into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. And then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So the king left into the palace garden. He left the banquet, and Haman went to Esther to make request for his life. And as I said, apparently, and, you know, falling down or in, you know, it seems some way begging her for his life, um, you could imagine. And then when the king returns, uh, this, you know, evidently looked pretty bad on Haman's part. And uh, the king returns to find Haman fallen on the bed of Esther. And uh, that was, you know, as they say, the last straw. And that was it for Haman. And uh, immediately they covered his face, which I thought was also interesting uh, why they covered his face. But supposedly a veil was placed 
on uh, the face of a con- someone who was condemned to death because a Persian king wouldn't look on a condemned man. Um, so that was just something I read, whether that's true or not. Uh, but that was the explanation I got for why they covered his face, because uh, he, he, w- he would have been condemned to death. We're moving on, verse 9. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. And the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So they covered Haman's face. Harbona, one of the chamberlains, so this would have been one of the advisors of the king, came in and told the king of the gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai, that he was going to, or purposing to hang Mordecai on. And uh, the king commanded that they hang Haman on the gallows, and they did. And uh, the king's wrath was um, pacified. So there's a pretty short chapter. A lot happens very quickly. You know, like we said, there's a climax of the story, so we get a lot of action really fast. Um, uh, but it's, you know, a lot of good. Chapter 7, Esther gives her request, and the king uh, fulfills the request, and Haman uh, ends up uh, dying, being hung on the gallows that he had created for Mordecai. So uh, at the end here, I want to look at some lessons we can learn from this uh, chapter specifically and from people in this chapter, but also just kind of Esther as a whole. And uh, two people very specifically, uh, lessons that we can learn from Esther and lessons we can learn from Haman. Haman. So first, uh, lessons we can learn from Esther. And the first thing I thought is um, Esther's courage to do what she knew was right. If you flip back just a little bit to Esther chapter 4, Because Esther understood the consequences of what her actions could have meant, what, have, what could have meant for her. And that's what we're going to read here in Esther chapter 4, looking at verses 15 and 16. It says, Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So after Mordecai had asked Esther to go to the queen to ask for the life of the Jews, because this was after Haman had uh, decided that he, or had uh, made the decree that anyone could go out and that he would pay those who will go out and slaughter the Jews, that he wanted to um, basically exterminate the Jewish population. And Esther, or Mordecai asked Esther to go before the queen, or to go before the king, and um, Queen Esther uh, gave, this is the answer she gave Mordecai, that he wanted them to fast three days and night, and that she would do the same thing, and that she will go on to the king, and if she perishes, she perish. So Esther understood the consequences of her actions, what it could have been. She could have gone before the king, and the king could have not held out the scepter, and she could have died right there. That could have been the end. But, you know, again, we just see, even though God is not mentioned in this book, his work is very clearly seen throughout the whole, throughout the lives of Esther, throughout the lives of, or throughout the whole book of Esther. So Esther understood, but she still went before the king. So God's work is clearly seen in Esther's life. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but a verse, um, read 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So Esther she had courage. She went before the king knowing that she could have died, but she did it anyway. And just 
as Esther, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So we need not fear uh, when, you know, Esther knew what she was doing was right. She knew what she had. She was in a position where she could save the Jews, where she was in a position where she could go before the king, and she used that, and she had the courage to do so. And we, too, uh, we don't have to fear, you know. Uh, the Bible says, you know, fear not what man can do or those who can destroy the uh, body but, you know, can't do anything else, but rather fear God who can destroy both body and soul and hell. We ought not to fear man or fear what man can do to us, but rather only fear God. Another verse, James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. This is something else I wanted to look at because Esther could have just done nothing. And maybe she wouldn't have died as being the queen. Maybe they wouldn't have uh, killed her. Maybe just all the Jews would have. And she could have just not said anything and um, could have been fine with that. But I believe that that would have been wrong for Esther to do. Because Esther was put in a position where she knew what was right. And she had the ability to go before the king and to make requests for the Jews. And she had the ability to do something that was right. And if she didn't do it, I believe it would have been sin. And we see this in, James, uh, in this verse, in James 4, 17, where it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good. So if you know to do that um, something is good and you don't do it, to him it is sin. It's kind of the same thing if you think, you know, we think of often just don't sin, you know, don't lie, don't do something. But if you think um, you can just not lie, but it could also be a sin to just not tell the truth. And so this is kind of what I see in Esther's life, is she could have not done anything, and maybe felt fine with that. But she had the position. She knew what was right. And she did it. And so I think we can learn a lot from Esther's courage and from uh, the way we see Esther uh, act and the way she lives. And uh, her courage go before the king. And God used her to uh, save the Jews. So those are some le- lessons I see that we can learn from Esther. And also I want to look at some lessons that we can learn from Haman. But kind of in... Um, you know, a different way, not things that we could emulate, but rather things that we should not emulate, things that where Haman fell short, where we can do better. And if you think some that we've been looking at through the whole book in Haman's life in the book of Esther, what was one of his biggest downfalls? He was very prideful. Haman was a very prideful man. Go ahead and uh, turn over to Esther chapter 5, just a little bit over from where we were to Esther chapter 4. So I want to look at some things, uh, an example of Haman's pride. And I believe this was eventually what got to him. And we're going to see, the Bible talks about this specifically, what pride can do uh, to a man. And I want to look at verses 9 through 11 here in Esther chapter 5. The Bible says, Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh his wife. And Haman told them the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the princes and the servants of the king. Now, I'm very interested because I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around people that talk about themselves like this. So... Haman's friends, um, I'm curious to see, uh, to see what their reaction would have been. But this, so Haman comes home, and uh, he gathers all his friends and his wife, and he just tells them everything that he has done, all the things that the king has promoted him above all, all of his riches, his children, uh, all, of his, all about his glory. And he was very proud of it. 
So Haman was a very, a very proud man. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And I think this verse uh, well describes uh, of, uh, Haman. Haman was a wicked man. He was full of pride. The pride of, uh, that, in that verse, the pride of his countenance. It was, he was talking about his glory and his riches and everything that he had done. And the king had promoted him above everybody else. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Haman did not seek after God. God was not in all his thoughts. Haman seems to be mostly concerned about himself, his own glory, his own honor. Go ahead and turn over to Psalm 94. I want to look at this passage in Psalm 94. But while you're there, I'm going to read some verses from Psalm 7. I'm going to read verse 11 first. Psalm 7, 11. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. I'm going to go down to verses 14 now. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. Which pate just means head. So another thing, we look at the uh, Haman's sin of pride. He was a very proud man. But another thing I want to look at is that Haman was just a very wicked man. And we, can, and we read of the wickedness of Haman uh, in Esther. And here in Psalm 7, it says that uh, the, God judgeth the righteous, and he is angry with the wicked every day. People don't like to think about God as being angry with people. But the Bible is very clear that God is angry at sin. He's angry at the wicked. And it says right here in Psalm 7, he's angry with the wicked every day. So rather than, you know, people don't like to think about it, so a lot of times rather than conforming their views to the Bible, they conform the Bible to their views. We ought not to be that way, but rather to change. If our ways contradict what the Bible says, then we ought to change ourselves rather than change the Word of God. Because it is infallible, we are not. But here in Psalm 7, and then in verses 14 where it says, uh, He travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. Uh, Haman had no... A real good uh, accusation of Mordecai. The only thing that he had against Mordecai is that he wouldn't bow before him. The only thing Mordecai did was hurt his own pride, and that's why he wanted Mordecai uh, hung. That's why he made these gallows 50 cubits high to make an example of Mordecai, to hang him. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I think it's, you know, this came quite literally for Haman. I mean, he made these gallows for Mordecai, and in the end, he was the one hanging from them, not Mordecai. We're in uh, Psalm 94. I want to look at a passage towards the end, verse, uh, starting in verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, speaking of God, which frameth mischief by Allah? They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense, and my God is the rock of my refuge. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. Again, that verse 21. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. Haman was condemning innocent blood. Mordecai was a righteous and innocent man. He had done nothing worthy, worthy of death that we read of. And yet Haman continually sought um, evil concerning Mordecai. 
And we, and we see, I mean, just in both of these passages in the psalm, and at the end here, that uh, here in verse 23, where it says, He shall bring upon them their own iniquity, he speaking of God, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. And again, this came quite literally for Haman. I mean, he was, you know, in a, he was, you read in chapter 7, and up until that point, we read he was in a very good position. He was promoted above all the others in the kingdom. He had riches. He had um, children. He was, he was very honorable in the kingdom. Or he, he was, you know, he was in this great position of authority and power. And in the end, it came to his pride, his wickedness. It came to an end, and it came to his destruction. And he ended up falling into the pit, which he had dug himself. So, Haman was a wicked man. He was a prideful man. And we read about pride, Proverbs 16, 18, very famous verse about pride. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And again, very literal for Haman, we see this. Uh, he was a very proud man, and it came to the end, and it came to his destruction. It came to his fall. So go ahead and turn back to Esther chapter 4. I want to finish in Esther chapter 4. So I want us to learn to think that, um, well, to know that we can rest knowing that God is just and that he will punish the wicked, whether that's now or in eternity. eternity. We read through the Psalms and a lot of times we can see in our own life and, you know, David even says we see in our world the wicked prevailing and we see things, you know, why are they allowed to do what they do? Why are they allowed to be in the positions they have to have these riches, to have all this fame in this, uh, in this world? But then we read through the rest of the Bible and we read in Revelation that every man at some point will be judged according to their works. And if you don't have Jesus Christ to cover your sins, if you don't have Jesus Christ, uh, if you haven't believed on him uh, for your Savior, if you don't have... Jesus as your Savior, then you will be judged according to your works, and your works will not stand before a righteous and holy God. And so in the end, the wicked will be punished for their works. They do not repent if they do not turn to Jesus, if they do not turn to God. Esther chapter 4, I want to read verses 13 through 14 uh, to finish up. Because I want to look finally at something we can learn from Mordecai, something that he said. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But if thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai had faith that Israel would be saved. Being an Israelite, a Jew, I, you would assume that he would know of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, knew the promise uh, God had made to his people Israel. And Mordecai believed that whether it came by Esther or some other place, that God would deliver his people from this evil that was determined against him. And so he's telling Esther, you can hold your peace. And we talked about that. Esther could have said nothing. She didn't have to go before the king. And she could have been fine with that. But it would have been, it would have been wrong. She knew what was right, and she decided to do it, which... Uh, God used her to save his people. But Mordecai had faith that even if she decided not to go before the king, you know, he, she, he says, Don't, think not that you're going to escape in the king's house. He says, but if thou holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He believed that if Esther decided not to say anything, which she didn't have to, that God would send another way. He, he could have. He sent another way. 
uh, he believed, he had faith that the Jews would have been saved, deliverance would have come from another place. But we read in Esther, God did use, he used Esther to save his people. And again, that word, you know, the name of God not mentioned in the entire book of Esther, and yet it's so evident, so clearly evident of his work. And of uh, his work through Esther, through Mordecai, through all these people. A lot of just, I mean, it just, it works out so perfectly. I mean, I was reading this, and we talked about Esther 7 being the climax of the story. And if you look at it like a story, I mean, it's, you couldn't have written a better one. I mean, if Hollywood was smart, they'd make a film for this book. I mean, really, it's really interesting stuff. But just to see God work in the lives of these people, and uh, through the lives of Esther, through the life of Mordecai, and even through the king, and to save his people. And then also at the end there, at verse 14, what uh, Mordecai says to Esther, who, and who knoweth whether thou art come for the kingdom as for such a time as this. God had Esther in the place he did, uh, in her position as queen, that he could use her to save his people. Esther was there for such a time as this. And so a lot of times I think we can think to ourselves, why are we born in a world that seems so wicked and dark, that seems heading in a totally opposite direction of God and of his word and of truth? A world that, you know, seems to be very dark at really uh, many times. And we can say, you know, man, I wish I would have been born in the old days when we didn't have to worry about such things. You know, when the founding fathers, when it seemed like everybody had uh, an idea of the Bible at least and had some uh, idea of morality, uh, from a Christian standpoint from the Bible, when the Bible could be used, when prayer could be spoken in schools. But I would say we ought not to, th- to think such vain thoughts. Because for one, we can't change where we were put in history. We can't you know, determine when we were born or you know, how we were, what situation we were born into. But rather, we sh- I think we should look at our lives and think in the positions we are in our lives is, we may be where we are today for such a time as this. I think we ought to look at you know, our lives again, our lives, our positions, where we are, and think about ways, pray, ask God for ways that he could use us in this world. Because it is, our world is heading in opposite direction, and we read, I don't believe it's going to get any better. It's, I think it's, the world is going to continue in the wrong direction. It's going to head uh, towards destruction as fast as it can, 180 degrees away from the word of God, away from God and his truth. But I believe we can trust God. We can trust God even in the darkest times. And I believe that uh, God can use us in our lives. And uh, we ought to pray, ask God, you know, ask him ways we can witness and stuff. And now we might not save a people group, a whole people group, be put in a position like Esther was, save the Jews. But we are given a commandment. We are to save people. And we are to bring the gospel to people. And, uh, you know, and we read in, um, in the Bible that, you know, when, when scoffers are coming in the last days uh, and they ask, you know, where is the promise of, his, the promise of his coming? For all things have continued as they were from creation. But then the Bible it gives a very clear reason that God uh, is long, the reason he has not come yet is because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God does not come back. He's waiting. He's, he wants as many as possible to come to salvation, to come to repentance to him. And us as, as Christians, as Christians in this world, uh, we are to be witnesses. We are to go out. That's, you know, the last thing Jesus said, we think about like the Great Commission before Jesus ascended back into heaven, that uh, 
he commands us, we are to go out, you know, to every corner of the earth, to every nation, to every people, and to proclaim the word of God, to proclaim the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we might not be saving, you know, America or the Jews or a whole people group at once, but rather we are to go out and save, you know, one, one person at a time even. Go out and just share the gospel, and that's all we can do. We can, uh, we can tell them the word. We can tell them uh, the truth, give them the truth, and then uh, the Holy Spirit can work, and that we can bring people to salvation. We can save them uh, from, an etern- from their due punishment in hell, because we all, we all have fallen short and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all deserving of hell. We are all deserving of eternal punishment and death. But that's why Jesus Christ came, and he came to save us, you know, to cover our sins. Uh, um, and he offers that free salvation, and we can we can accept Jesus Christ. And so, as Christians, uh, you know, we ought to we ought to proclaim that, to give that, uh, to share that with others, so that others can come to salvation. So, I believe we a lot to learn from Esther chapter seven, um, a lot to learn from Esther, from Haman, from Mordecai, and um, we can trust God even in the darkest times. And who's to say we aren't here for just such a time as this? Uh, let's pray. Close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that everyone uh, has made it safely here. I just pray you'll bless the rest of this time, the rest of the service, uh, that we would honor you with our time. I just uh, thank you for the book of Esther. I thank you for the lessons we can learn. Uh, Just help us to hide your word in our heart, that we might not sin against thee, and uh, thy will be done, and all that uh, happens in our lives. Praise in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.